0: Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. Well, I want to talk to you today about the grace of God. The grace of God is the fundamental thing, for lack of a better word, uh, that we receive as a benefit under the new covenant. We are under a new covenant of grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, whereas this is just a, a key... Uh, topic for Christians to understand of what the grace of God is, um, many of us uh, have, have likely heard a very distorted message about the grace of God. And so my heart today is for us to get into the Word of God, to ask the spirit of wisdom and revelation, as we were singing, to enlighten our understanding on this essential topic in our faith of Christianity. So, Jesus and the apostles tell us that at the end of the age, that there would be a great deception that would mislead many and that there would be a great falling away of the faith. Matthew 24, 10 to 13, Jesus said, At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. 1 Timothy 4.1, But the Spirit explicitly says... That in the later times some will fall away from from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and to doctrines of demons. You see, the enemy hates the message of God and His grace that we have through Jesus Christ, and so he strives he strives very hard to bring confusion on this topic within the church. Um, but but because when when we get when we lay hold of the grace of God, it draws us to God, and it empowers us to live a life of godliness and holiness. Satan does not want to let go, but when we get in a revelation of the truth of who he is, Satan loses his grip over our lives. And that's my prayer. Because we don't we don't have to remain confused on this matter. Amen. We can ask God for revelation. We can get into the word of God. And we can and and, and we and we gotta look at what the word of God says about this. We can't let what the culture says, what the popular things in, in this church or that church is saying, or what our emotions are telling us. We've got to let the word of God speak to us. Amen. So when we lay hold of the grace of God, according to what Jesus and his apostles taught, we can experience a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. We can experience freedom from bondage to sin. And we can be empowered to walk out the hope and destiny that God has called each one of us to. Amen. So let's get into the word of God and talk about grace. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It'll be here on the screen. I'm reading out of the New American Standard, but I invite you to open up your Bibles and follow along with us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Amen. So by grace, we have been saved through faith. It's not from ourselves. It's not something that Matthew can generate to earn his salvation. It comes by grace. It's not as a result of the works that I've done. However, it's also, I've been created in Christ Jesus. When I get born again, I become a new creation. I'm created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand in order that I may walk in them. So what does that mean? So we've got, I'm saved not as a result of works, but when I'm born again, I'm created in Christ Jesus for good works so that I'd walk them out. So God has prepared good works for me to do. So grace, it's not a result of works, but it empowers us for good works. Amen? It's not a result of works that we are saved and receive the grace of God. But when we receive that grace, we're born again in such a way that it produces good and empowers us to walk out good works that God has prepared in beforehand so that we may walk in them. Amen. So where does the distortion come in this message of grace? The distortion comes when there's an emphasis on one end of this or the other. So some at the expense of the other side. Does that make sense? So for some, there's a strong emphasis on verse 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, period. And we camp out there. And we start emphasizing the grace of God. God loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do that will turn God away from you. There's nothing, our actions, that they can't earn us salvation. And, 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 and those are true, but what typically starts to happen, and sometimes some preachers will actually directly say, is that, that, that our actions don't matter. Um, that that, it, that if I sin, God doesn't care about it. He doesn't He doesn't see any of it, that we're under grace, not under law. And so any, any and, and so they've emphasized not as a result of works, at the expense of created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so you start talking about holiness and godliness, that the Hebrews chapter 12, 28, that we've received an imperishable kingdom and so let us give him gratitude that we may serve him with reverence and godly fear those things start disappearing from the picture and you hear grace you or you hear holiness you hear godliness and the cry is legalism 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 and there's a rejection and 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 some of this is this, this 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 it's it's not necessarily that everyone is saying don't obey the Lord, but there's such an emphasis on grace at the expense of of created in Christ Jesus for good works that, that people start interpreting it and start using it at the worst case as a license to sin. Because I've been saved, because the grace of God has been poured out to me lavishly, if I sin, it doesn't matter to God. If I sin, I I can just run back and it's and it's okay. And there's and friends, there is some truth in that, but it's distorted when it starts giving us boldness to sin, when it starts causing us to ignore that we have been called to live, that to, we've been predestined to adoption as sons, and that we've been given grace that we may be made holy and blameless in love. Ephesians chapter 1. Jude chapter 1 verse 4 warns about people that turn the grace of God into licentiousness or license for sin. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So people that take the message of grace as a license to live a life of immorality, as licensed to embrace what is actually bondage or addictions to sin and, 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 and not having any fruit of repentance in their lives. Okay. Um, that's called a distortion. And people that teach that directly, that boldly, knowingly, deliberately use a message of grace to excuse their own sin or to cause other people to sin, their condemnation has been marked out by God. You know, Sharon Jones shared last week just a sobering message about a number of friends that she's seen turn the message of grace, and and and, and they've, they've encountered God, they've been filled with the Spirit, baptized, serving in ministry, but over time they've been hurt, they've been offended either by God or by the community or both or by multiple churches, and so they've gone off and started living lives of drunkenness, of immorality, um, and it, it doesn't necessarily like a, a full plunge, it's just a little at a time, and then over years you're just like, what happened to this person? And I mean, my heart just breaks over folks in college, even in high school that I knew in youth group, in my college group that were with me making disciples. And I look at some of their lives now, not a trace of Jesus in their lives. And it it's grieves my heart and it grieves the heart of God. And Jesus and his apostles, they give us terrifying warnings about those that they are on the path of destruction. And Jesus warns people, and says, here's the fruit of this, and wide is the path of destruction, and many will follow it, and their condemnation will come. But there's also a distortion of grace on the other end. There's a focus on verse 10 at the expense of verses 8 and 9. So there's there's an emphasis on created in Christ Jesus for good works, you're called to live holy, you're called to be righteous, you're called to be good, you're called to pray and fast and give and and and, and, and resist and, and, and get rid of sin out of your life and, and it's it's and all those are true, but it's at the expense of I've received salvation by grace through faith not as a result of my works. And so what happens with this distortion is that people start getting into striving to earn God's love and favor. They start trying to pray enough, to fast enough, to stop sinning enough, and and, and and many folks may be actually in habitual sin that they they hate it. They don't want to be caught up in it, but they are, and they they feel the guilt and the shame and the condemnation each time they do it, but they, they're just like, I don't know what to do. I, I don't want to do this, but I keep doing it, and then I hear a message that I'm called to be holy, and I just, I'm like, I, I don't know how to be holy. I don't know what to do, and so they're walking around guilt shame, condemnation, and it just weighs them down. Anyone ever related to that? Know anybody? <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's a huge deal in the body of Christ. And I tell you, it's, it's just as distorted as the other end. Um, because what it does is that if, if that's never corrected, and there's never an understanding of the free gift of righteousness that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ, and that we have boldness and confidence to run to Jesus if we sin, to repent, get cleansed, and be empowered, then then it's 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 it's, it's hopelessness, it's despair, and in the worst case, they they turn away from the Lord. You know, I'm in uh, school right now, um, in my in my graduate program, and you know, I read theology, but I got to read philosophy and all these other things and some of the main philosophers and philosophies that are just um, completely atheist or have or have progressively become atheist over the past uh, or the past 3 centuries were often from people that were raised in a Christian home Nietzsche was born from a Lutheran family his father is a Lutheran pastor Others grew up in 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 in, in, uh, um, um, in the Anglican Church, in the Calvinist Church, in the Lutheran Church, in the Methodist Church, and they were what they were. They were burned out by um, by trying to be good enough and keep the moral standard enough for they'd be accepted. And some of them just said, "I can't do this anymore." And so it's a serious thing. Um, But a biblical message of the grace of God, it emphasizes both. It emphasizes we are saved by grace, not as a result of works. And it emphasizes that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand in order that we may walk in them. Amen? We're going to keep going. Um, again, you have your note cards because I want to take some questions. I want to dialogue on this a little bit today. And if we need to more in the future, I want to do that because I want us to get this. Amen? Okay. So let's talk more about what grace is. What is grace? So in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word most commonly used and translated as grace in our English translations is a Hebrew word, chesed. Say hesed. Very good. I heard some good (laughs) coming from this front row. I think I got some spit in my eye, actually, from one of you. Um, Very good. If you're not spitting in someone's eye, you're not doing the (laughs) enough. Um, Anyway, when you greet each other with a holy kiss, it's like you're already used to spitting in each other's eyes. So anyway, Um, okay. this is funnier to me than you guys. so I'm just going to keep going on. (laughs) Chesed. (laughs) Back to Chesed. It's used 247 times in the Old Testament. And it's often translated in our English translations as as mercy in the New King James. That the the chesed of God is is his, Lord, you are good, and your chesed, your loving kindness, your your, your mercy endures forever. It's also translated mercy or or kindness or loving kindness in the New American Standard. That's my favorite. You are good, Lord, and your loving kindness is everlasting. Ah, loving kindness, that God's love and his kindness for me is everlasting for those who fear him it also says more on that in a few moments but his loving kindness is everlasting our new the new living his love or his unfailing love you are good and your unfailing love endures forever i love it i love it you just meditate on that um, in the new testament we have the greek word charis say charis very good That's used 157 times. And there are a couple of different dimensions, at least, um, to the word charis in the New Testament. One is favor, particularly unmerited favor. We can't deserve it. And the other end is a divine empowerment favor and empowerment. So um, we've got mercy, loving kindness, unfailing love. We've got unmerited, undeserved favor, and we've got divine empowerment. In Romans 6, this is very powerful because when we're under that realm of God's grace, under his chesed, under his charis, that that sin, he says in Romans 6, will no longer have mastery over you. For you're not under the law, but you're under grace. You're under the grace of God. Sin cannot have dominion over your life. Living under grace means basically three things. First of all, we're accepted by God. By grace, we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That means we're freely forgiven. We are made righteous by faith. That our good works and our actions or obeying the law is not what earns us God's God's acceptance, His loving kindness, His mercy. It says in Romans 5 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It's his mercy. And with with his acceptance, it means, I mean, you get the slate wiped and washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Okay, this isn't just God looking at you and saying, you know, you're you're just a total wreck and you're a mess and just you stink, but you're forgiven and I love you. Come hug me anyway. Um, It's actually that the mess and the smell and the dirt and the rags, all of those get removed and you get washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus and you received a garment of righteousness and you can come in clean and boldly into the presence of God the Father. We see a beautiful picture of this in Zechariah 3 where you have Joshua, the high priest. He's there representing the people of Israel and standing before the throne of God. And he's... Full of He's just covered in filthy garments. And in his right hand is the accuser, the devil, telling Joshua and telling God why he doesn't deserve to be there before the throne of the Lord. And I tell you, that guy gets right up in your ear. And he will whisper to you day and night. He will accuse the people of God day and night as to why they do not deserve to be in the presence of God. And then the angel of the Lord says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan! For Joshua is like a brand plucked from the fire. And then the angels come and they remove those filthy rags and they put new garments, and a, clean garments and a turban on his head. And, 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 then, he, and then the Lord prophesies that the, the sins of Israel would be removed in one day. And Joshua is cleansed and he's able to come before the Lord holy and righteous and clean in the eyes of God. Okay, I know I yelled at you. But you know, that angel had to yell at that devil (laughs) because that devil doesn't know when to shut it. But when you quote the word of God and the accuser is coming against you day and night, you say, no, I have been made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. I have been freely forgiven and washed by his, from my sins by his blood, Revelation 1.5, and you speak the word of God out, that accuser will start to shut it. But you've got to speak. You've got to use these words, and you've got to remember what God has said about you. You are accepted by God. You are made righteous and cleansed. This also means that we're enjoyed by God, that God delights in us, even in our weakness. That's really good news. I love to teach on the Song of Solomon because that book, more than any, it, it shows us from the very beginning, this this Shulamite woman who represents the bride of Christ, that she's dark but lovely. She feels dark. She sees the darkness of, of, of her past and who she perceives herself to be. But she says, the king says, I'm lovely. At the onset of the journey, in Isaiah 62, that God is prophesying over Jerusalem and he's saying, No longer will it be said of you, forsaken, or your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah. My delight is in her. My delight is in her. And the Lord says over you today, My delight is in you, my bride. He enjoys you in your weakness. And this gives us confidence to run to God when we sin. And if there is a sin that you're, that you're that you're just you're, there's an addiction that there's 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 a compulsion in in lying or not praying enough or 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 pornography or sexual sin when you commit that sin the grace of god his kindness and his and in his favor unmerited favor means that we can run to him and confess our sins and he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness 1 john 1 We've got to run, the grace of God gives us boldness to run to him. Okay, the distortion comes when it's, okay, you've sinned, but it doesn't matter. God still loves you, but don't confess the sin and don't, don't repent of it in any sort of way and don't, and don't set your heart in any way to overcome it. Because you're a sinner, you'll always sin, but God is gracious. That's, that's a distortion. The truth is, that was sin. You hurt yourself, you hurt other people, you hurt God. But God is gracious and still loves you, and he wants you to come back to him. And he wants you with your mouth to confess that sin out loud as sin. God, I've sinned against you by doing this action. You be specific here. Forgive me, Lord. I hurt your heart. Forgive me, Lord, how I hurt myself. Forgive me how I've hurt other people through this action. And you sit and you wait in his presence, and you can receive the forgiveness and the cleansing from the Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Thirdly, living under the grace of God means that we are empowered by God. We are empowered to overcome sin. We are empowered to live a life of godliness, of holiness. We are empowered to produce the fruits of the Spirit we're empowered to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, operate in signs and wonders. I mean, it's it's just this power is, of God is unlimited. And Romans 5 says that grace will reign through righteousness, okay? Where sin reigned in death, so the grace of God might reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace will dominate your life. The power of God will start to direct your actions. And you may feel weak, and you may feel broken, and, oh, God, this has been my tendency in this sin area, but, but God, your grace is for me. Pour out grace upon me, God. It empowers you to deny that ungodliness. Titus 2.11 to say no to sin, to say yes to God. God, I hate this sin. I don't want to do this. God, give me strength. Give me grace and power and show me how to overcome this thing. And the, and the grace of God over time, over time, over time, starts to strengthen your inner man. And it starts to turn your desires away and turn your heart towards the Lord. Second Peter 1 verse 2. I have it up on the screen. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power it says power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence so we receive the grace of God freely but the grace and peace of God can be multiplied to us And I pray that over myself regularly. Almost every New Testament letter starts with grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. And here it's be multiplied. May it be poured out abundantly. May it be multiplied to you because his divine power has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And notice here the connection that the multiplication of grace and peace, I need more grace in my life. It comes in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. So as you set your heart, as we were singing earlier, spirit of wisdom, open my eyes, spirit of revelation, open my heart. And you let the spirit of wisdom and revelation come. You open the word of God and what it says about the grace of God. Open my eyes, Jesus, show me who you are. Show me your beauty and your majesty as I read your word. And it, it starts to hit your heart. It starts to sink in. And you're sitting here in the prayer room, and, the, and, and Bethany or Ariel or Mallory or, 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 or Tanner or anybody, they're singing the word of God over you, and it's just pouring, and you're just like, God, you love me. And grace and peace is multiplied to you because you've grown in the knowledge of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter six, verse eight. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. I mean, this guy was healing the sick. This guy was casting out demons. This guy was proclaiming the word of God with boldness. And so grace partners with power, (laughs) And this favor, this divine empowerment comes upon you to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that word grace, charis in the New Testament, it's the root word for charismata, the gifts of the Spirit. And so when the grace of God comes, it enables us to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It enables us to move in the power of God. As Anne-Marie so rightly said, in our growth track, we were talking about serving. That caris, the grace of God, it empowers us to serve. It empowers us to walk. That, that to be a charismatic is not just to toot shofars and walk around with flags. I love flags. I I truly love If you have a flag, just, you know, I ask you to hang out in the back a little bit. I've almost been whacked by flags here in a really serious way. Um, and I'm just like, I'm like... We should like you know have a weight limit for the rods, you know, <laughs> um, um, because those things will just knock you out. Um, but I love the flags. I love the shofars. I have one. I can't really blow one. Um, but um, but you know, you're in a charismatic church. You got to have a flag and a shofar. Um, but um, but it's more than that. It's about being empowered by God to walk out the gifts of the Spirit and to overcome sin. Amen. So in closing. Grace, what is it not? Grace is not earned. Not as a result of works. By grace, through faith, we are saved. But we can increase and grow in grace, as we just read. We ask God, we grow in the knowledge of God. Grace is not simply a get out of jail free card. This isn't just going to heaven. This isn't just leaving you in your sin addictions and mess, but you get to go to heaven. This is a relationship with God, that Jesus came to bring men and women back to the Father, to be restored to him in love. And a relationship means time, affections your thought life. We love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. No relationship is strong that does not include time and love and affection and words and with God, obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus said. And his grace will empower us to do that but we've got to take time in in prayer. People that want to say, I have a relationship with God, but it never affects their schedule. It's a very shallow relationship. You're acquainted with Jesus. You may actually genuinely be saved, but you're not drinking of the fountain of life that pours out from his heart. And that only comes through coming to Jesus and spending time with him. It's not a license to sin as we've mentioned. It does not preclude repentance. We still repent, we still turn to God. We come to Jesus and that's where we receive the outpouring of grace. If we sin, we repent, we come to Jesus, confess it as sin, hid delete confess your sins one to another. This is not just in the in the closet time. This is you need the body of Christ here. And we've, we've got we've, we've to be encouraged and we've got to be challenged by the body of Christ if we're going to walk free from sin. And finally, it's not something, grace is not something that leaves you bound up in sin. Grace reigns through righteousness, and sin shall not have dominion over you. Amen. Tracy Eckert, will you come join me here? Can you? <laughs> We're going to have Corey get a couple of stools here. Yes, that's the right microphone here. And then, thank you, Bethany. Um, Ann Marie is going to come take the mic for me. Um, and uh, and actually, Corey, if I can have you walk around with a bucket or just um, collect card. If you have a card that you want to turn in, um, Corey is going to come grab that from you. Um, and here's what the cards are for. The cards are for in case we don't get to everything today. Okay, um, or in case some of you are too shy. But I want you to actually come up to the front. Okay, so if you've got a question, I invite you to stand up and to come over here so Annie doesn't have to walk around everywhere and just start forming a line down this row right here. So Richard's going to be first. You just start getting behind Richard. you got a question. Anne-Marie is going to be our moderator, and she's welcome to chime in too, and Tracy and I are just going to answer some questions here. All right? Clear? Y'all be brave. Bring your questions up. Yeah,
1: I awesome. <laughs> Rob's brave.
0: Come on, okay. Please talk about the person who gave their their heart to the Lord. However, they have completely walked away from from the Lord. The million dollar question is: Can they lose their salvation? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thanks, Richard. <laughs> Richard. Glad well, we started with the easy ones. <laughs> I know, like when ten people sit down, you know. <laughs> okay, um, I'll start with that. Um, first, I want to talk about it. Let's talk about someone, um, and I want to get to your core question there. Let's talk about someone that genuinely encountered God. They genuinely gave their life to the Lord. They got baptized, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. They tasted of the heavenly gift and of the powers of the age to come, in Hebrews 6. But now their lives look either the same or even worse before they got saved. What happened? What happened is they probably got hurt or offended by God, by another Christian, by a pastor, or multiple people. Um, And um, they never dealt with that offense. And they held bitterness and unforgiveness. And bitterness and unforgiveness is the primary way Satan draws people into temptation. There's no um, coincidence for Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. He he said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Immediately following is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay? so they've—that's um, what's happened, and they've—they've begun—they've begun, they've begun um, in that offense, hardening their heart to the people of God, to the Word of God, and to God Himself. And it's usually pretty gradual; it happens over time. Um, now, what happens if they are plunged into that lifestyle of sin? They remain in that course of sin for weeks, months, years decades i mean this is this is this is this is a real thing um can a, can that person lose their salvation yes they can now a christian cannot lose their salvation in the sense like you lost your car keys okay or just like I'm walking with Jesus, loving Jesus, praising the Lord, twirling my flag and my shofar is gone and I love, genuinely love the Lord. And Then, ah, I lost my salvation. Where did it go? I just totally, or or, or I sinned in this moment and I lost it. You don't lose your salvation every time you sin. Okay? You don't, uh, you, it, and it's like, well, what, we always want to know where's the limit here? <laughs> you know, How much is it before I've totally lost it? I actually, I don't know the answer to that. But when someone is, is over a period of time after multiple rebukes and warnings, drifting away from the Lord and plunging into a lifestyle, and their lives look just like unbelievers, except they maybe come to church once in a while, or, or even frequently, but throughout the week, it just totally looks like um, um, they're demonized, you know, or they're, they're, they're in sin. Um, I'm saying that there is great danger over your soul. And, and I will come to them as a brother in love, and Jude's very clear on this, have mercy on some who are doubting, who are struggling with their faith. We we speak the truth, but we speak it gracefully and mercifully. Others, we need to give them a real wake-up call and say, look, man, your life, you are headed on the road to destruction, and I am concerned for your soul. Um, um, And then there's some that have gone so far that we tried to warn them multiple times, that it's like the Lord, the Jew just is clear. Do not even associate with them because you will get defiled. At this point, that their toxic thoughts are going to start affecting you, and the Holy Spirit has to kind of help us guide and your friends and pastors. Um, but a person, I think it's really hard. But a person can forfeit their salvation in the sense. And Hebrews six and Hebrews ten is just absolutely clear. Jesus is clear. If you if you abide in the vine, I will remain in you. But those that do not, the branches that do not remain in me, will be cast into the fire. These are the words of Jesus Himself.
1: I think some of what Matthew is saying is very hard for a lot of us to um, hear, because we hear it and we say, "Well, but wait, you know, how can a loving God?" But the loving God gave His only Son so that we would come to him and it came at the greatest price that he could have given and um, I look at John chapter 6 where Jesus is saying to all of these people that are following him hundreds of people that are following him he's the biggest show in the land at the time and he says you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood and Almost everyone there left because they said, but the price that you're asking us to pay is too great. And they were actually offended by the level of intimacy that he was requiring. It was actually offensive intimacy. And he said, you have to come to me in a way where you can Take of me and become one with me, and so it is about being true disciples versus getting your a, uh, a get out of jail free card. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, you know, say, yeah, Christianity, bam! I'm gonna get out of jail. I'm not gonna go to hell, but yet I never have any fruit. I have no, I, I don't have any fruit of salvation. I have no fruit of repentance in my life. So are you really saved? Or have you taken the price of what Jesus did for granted? And I think it's very interesting because everybody left because they were like, wait, this is too great of a price for me. And 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 the people that left were like the people that where it was about them. We want the signs and the wonders, and we want the benefits of Christianity, but the minute that I have to do something on my part, it's too offensive for me, and it's interesting how he brings in and he talks about Judas there because Judas left... And he left to betray him to go to a religious structure. He didn't betray him to the Romans. He betrayed him to a religious structure because he said, I'm comfortable with religion, but I'm not comfortable with this level of intimacy that you're demanding from me. Because this is not about the activities of, it's really, you know, Jesus, I mean, sin is like, it's not really even about that. Jesus said, love covers a multitude of sin. He's like, look, it's about your heart. It's about the the place that you have in me where you fall in love. If you're not in love, you're not in Christ. And he said, this is about love. I came to you because I love you. God so loved the world. The first and second commandments, they're about love. He said, listen, these are the greatest things. Fall in love with me because once your heart is captivated with love, everything else takes care of itself. Sin, everything else, because you're drawn into love.
0: I just want to say, too, I I think it's here's the thing about the judgment seat of Christ, too, um, that we all be judged according to our actions. Um, Each man will be judged according to his works. This is not just an Old Testament verse. This is Paul says this. Jesus says this. This is this is this is in our New Testament. Um, I believe it's possible for someone to be saved, but as through fire. And so someone could. and, And again, it's like, where is that line? I don't know. But there's, there's people that we want to come, and when we face the judgment seat of Christ, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah. I want to hear, you poured out your life in love. You did not let these areas of sin remain in your heart. You kept running back to me. Um, I, um, but there will be some, it says in 1 Corinthians 3, that they may be, they will, they, that the fire of their work will be tested on the day of judgment. And they may actually be saved, but as through fire. Um, and so there's a purging that will happen, um, and, 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 but, but none of their works will go with them. But I just, and, and so that gives me, you know, prayer and hope for those loved ones that I know that may not, that were walking with Jesus but aren't. I'm like, God, turn them, turn them, turn them. And if they, if, if God forbid, they perish in that place, my prayer is like, God, I pray that they turn before they, before they left. And yeah. so they can be saved as through fire. But what, what I tell someone that's living is like, you don't want to, you don't want to bank on that. You want to bank on running to Jesus, okay? Yeah.
1: And that's why Jesus says the first and second commandments. These are these right here is is have a relationship with me and have a relationship with each other because what it does is it helps to create an environment where you are buffered and safe, where your brothers and sisters can come to you saying, "Hey, you know, I just want to love you by, you know, helping you continue to walk the, the walk of purity and holiness, and then also just being in the presence of God. I mean, if you have a relationship with God in prayer, I'm telling you, God does a really good job
0: of talking to you. That's good. How right, we take another question? Um, with grace in mind, how do we confront friends in their sin? I know you touched on it some, but especially if we ourselves have struggled with the same issues with them in our past. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question.
1: Well, I think if you well, have let's overcome ask, something.
0: Let's, have, let's let her ask it one more time. It's okay. With grace in mind, how do we confront friends in their sin, especially if we ourselves have struggled with them in the same issue in our past?
1: Well, if you've overcome it, then there's a testimony there that will be your way of, of helping to create um, dialogue. And then, you know, just helping to use the word and then telling them, I'm going to walk with you in this. I'm going to walk this out with you. I'm here for you. And, you know, when, one of the areas when you're confronting somebody, you don't want to get into right and wrong. What you want to do is, is tell them, look, I just want to understand where you are in your heart, because that's what's really important. Again, the Lord is looking at our heart. We should also be trying to see what's going on in someone's heart so we can help walk them through so that they can recover.
0: It's really good. I just want to, uh, hers, I, similar to hers, but kind of in the direction of someone does not admit, according to the word of God, that w- what they're doing is actually a sin, and they still think that they're good to go with the Lord. Like, they're not seeing that in the word. It's kind of a relative Christianity type of a question. I'm saying like the word clearly says this is a sin, but they don't admit that and they still think they're right. What would you say to them? Yeah, that's a question. That's, that's a challenge. Um, I, we speak the truth in love. I pray over that person and I ask for opportunities for these kinds of conversations and I'm asking the Lord to give me the right words. Um, and honestly, just like the prophetic, I think is really key in prophesying as to who they are and who God's called them to be. Um, that's a, we, and, in, 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 and I, and I, I want approaching it needs to be done prayerfully, mercifully, but, but truthfully at the same time. And so it kind of depends on the level of your relationship with this person um, with, with someone that I, I don't know that well. Um, you know, I don't, I just, I'm like, Lord, I just pray this. I have the opportunity to love and, speak truth to this person, but if it, if it's someone I'm really close to, I'm just, I'm going to take them. I'm just like, I'm, I'm really concerned for you. Mm -hmm. Like, here's what the word of God says. Um, and what, what you're telling me is that it's, that you're not agreeing this is sin, but it's, it's in the word Mm -hmm. here. And I mean, it's, and, and I, I deal with this. Um, this is an interesting thing for me. I, I know a lot of, uh, Christians who, um, who are embracing uh, a homosexual lifestyle and that's that's kind of a whole other can of worms there um, but um, and it's something that needs to be done tenderly and graciously I mean the, the United Methodist Church right now is splitting over this issue and it's 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 heated it's hot um, and so my goal is to sit down with them and um, share a number of you heard my own testimony if you haven't I'm very we did Roman series last year Romans chapter one I tell about my Um, um, journey through that and freedom and and what God's done in my life um, through that. And I, I, I share my story and that's what I do. Um, If you don't relate to their sin, I mean, you, you appeal and you plead and you pray. I mean, if they don't want to listen, you really, there's, there's, you just have to say, God, you got to show me what the next step is from here. Well,
1: and also, I think having more than one person, taking somebody right. else with you. John and I like to pastor together because we're the pastor and the prophet. You know, I'll, I'll I'll speak a word over them, and John will pastor the word, and just between that, I mean, just feeling the love feeling loved and valued for who and seen for who they are and not looking at the sin, but really calling out the the gold in them. Like Matthew said, will really help. Now, if you still, if they still won't acknowledge it or turn from it, then, you know, we're called to intercession. And if God has shown you that, he's also given you the responsibility to stand on their wall and begin to pray for them so that the Lord can encounter them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one last thing on that too, just, if it's within a community, too, and that's—I mean, Jesus talks to us about going to your brother, to your sister, if they're in sin, and and lovingly, and I mean, some of us get a little excited about rebuking sometimes, you know. <laughs> or <laughs> it's always restorative, and we want to we want to communicate that. I mean, if it's like a serious um, sin that like there's a, there's intense sexual sin or there's an a, an alcohol sin addiction thing going on there, that's like that there's that's that's defiling them defiling people around them you bring someone else to them and then and you take it to the leadership and i mean that's and and paul and very we don't like to hear this but it's in the bible that paul handed somebody over to satan and expelled them from the community at one point um, because they refused to repent and they were starting to influence other people but the even that was restorative and 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 paul was saying that i've hand such one over to satan for the destruction of their flesh, that their spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And I mean, these are really extreme situations here. Um, and um, and so those are, that's, that's biblical too.
1: Let's do two more, uh, Rebecca's question, and then I've got a quick one. So um, after reading Romans 7 and 8 lately, I've been wondering if for the believer, just like where does temptation actually come from? Does it come from a sin nature that's still inside of us? Or has that, died in such a sense that the only temptation to sin comes from the enemy now? That is a really good question. Actually, I've been in Romans myself and um, let me see if I can find it.
0: Um, that is a theologically debated question. <laughs> the church has historically taught from very early on that after baptism and salvation, that a tendency or inclination towards sin remains in the individual, that we are saved. That's not our primary identity, that we receive a new nature. And that's where, you know, Romans 7, Romans 8, you know, Romans 7 talks about that struggle. of I, I don't do what I want to do. And just this, my mind is agreeing with the law of God, but there's this principle of evil working in my members that leads me into sin. What do I do? Praise be to God, (laughs) our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's hope at the end of it. Um, and so there's, there's, there, there is an internal wrestle that happens that while in this life, there is still an inward pull towards sin, but it doesn't have to dominate. Right. Okay. When you're not saved, sin dominates when you're saved, grace dominates. And And
1: it's the grace to overcome sin. Mm -hmm. You know, you're still in you still live in the world and there are still temptations all around us. But I love how Romans talks about the sanctification, you know, that we are sanctified. And um, and so I may be when I was first saved, I was very immature. I didn't know the word. I didn't have a prayer life. I didn't understand what it was to be a disciple. And I think that's really where the crux of it is. What, who, uh, you know, who are you serving? Because it says in Romans 6, you're serving someone, you're a slave to either the law or you're a slave to God in righteousness. And so we belong to someone and so as we give ourselves to God and we pursue God, if there is a habitual sin or something that's knocking at our door, we have to be wise and realize we've got to we've got to declare war on this sin yeah. and not just let it have its way with us and semi wrestle with it, but we need to declare war, which means God, how do I declare war? You've got to ask the question, God, how do I get out of this? Because it's hurting my heart. And so that's when you, you increase your prayer time. You increase your time in the word. You call your friends and you say, can you be interceding for me? I'm in a battle right now. You fast, you know, you do the things that are, that a disciple does, and you'll find that there's grace on that. And it'll break the power of that thing in your life. You get deliverance if you need deliverance from generational curses or iniquity.
0: Yeah. And the enemy does tempt us. I mean, deliver us not into temptation, but deliver lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, the The evil one wants to lure us into sin, um, but everything she just said, as we are getting in the Word, as we're being a true disciple of the Lord, it it that voice starts becoming more and more dim, and we want to strengthen the voice of God in our inner man by reading the Word, meditating on the Word, praying the Word, singing the Word,
1: yeah,
0: and walking out the Word, right.
1: Last question very quickly. Is struggling with depression or anxiety the same thing as struggling with sin? And can you give someone that is struggling with one of those some hope?
0: Great question. I want to talk about the difference in general. I want to back up a little bit about the difference between temptation and sin. Temptation is when we are tempted or lured or enticed to sin. Sin is when we sin, <laughs> when we actually, we obey that temptation, and when we're led into it. Um, when it comes to depression and, and anxiety um, or, or, or anything like that, I do think that there can be a, a, phys, a physical chemical imbalance in somebody um, that, that, um, that pr- doctors can help with they can, they can, and, and I've, I've met folks that sort of getting on certain medications that they are clinically diagnosed with depression, um, or that starts giving them some alleviation. Um, but the, the mean, the, the, the goal is not to stay on that. I know folks that have started on that and kind of ease their way off in conversation with their doctors. Um, but, and so I, I kind of say all that to, to, um, to cover those bases and be clear on that. But the, 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 the hope is in the grace of God. What I don't want you to do is get into a victim mentality. Well, I grew up, my father was angry, my dad was angry, or my mom was depressed, my grandma was depressed, and so I am depressed, and I'm always going to struggle with depression. And usually what people mean, that's what the words that come out, but the, what they mean is that I'm going to be ruled and dominated by, a, by depression or anger, and that's just not true. Um, the grace of God says that sin will not be mastery over you. It's sin if it's causing you to uh, disagree with the promise of God with the Word of God. If you're believing lies, you're getting to unbelief and you're committing sins and there's, there's, there's depression and. There, there's, there's this thing with depression that gets us very self-focused. Okay, I'm not a doctor. I'm not talking there's there, are, again, clinical depression, needs to be dealt with, but you can't stay in that place and treat yourself as a victim to this. That's good.
1: A lot of um, what he's talking about this depression. um, I've never experienced depression, but recently because of what's happened with bliss, depression has visited me and I've actually had to fight against it. But there's a philosophy that I have that's core that I think is biblical, that that's not my portion. I'm, a child of God and joy is my portion. And even though it would be naturally to say it would be natural to say well of course this happened to me so therefore I'm depressed. I know that that is a demon that has come to tempt me to come into agreement with that and that could take me down a dark hole if I agree with it. But I know that the love of God he his word says that he is that he comforts those who mourn. Yes. And I'm in mourning right now. Mm-hmm. I'm upset about my, you know, I'm disappointed or you can, the, the, you know, it's long the list, but I'm not going to agree with the demon. I'm going to agree with God who comforts me. And and when I mourn, even though I may be sad, he actually takes that. And and there's a ministry from the Holy Spirit that will enable me to get up out of that thing that the enemy is trying to offer me. So it is definitely a battle. And there are things that I've had to do in my life and had to be diligent. I have, I'm like, I'm running I'm going to run and I'm going to exercise because it causes my physical body to create endorphins. Well, so there's something that I can do that's that's positive so that the enemy doesn't get a stronghold and I am disciplined about that. Yeah. So again, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and I have to discipline myself and cause my body to come into alignment with the truth of heaven and I do that through this discipline. And so it's, but it starts with the idea of who I am. I'm a daughter. My identity is in Christ as one that is victorious. So, so depression. I agree. It could get over you, but the Word of God can get over it. Amen.
0: I mean, and there's a there's a grieving that's that's necessary and helpful in different stages in life. And I tell people, get in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. I mean, David has he's working, he's depressed, he's discouraged, he's anxious, and he pours it out to God.
1: Oh yeah, God and I are having some long mm-hmm. conversations. Exactly. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> oh, uh, you know,
0: and then, ugly cry. And then it's with worry or care and anxiety, it says cast your cares upon the Lord. Yeah. Take that into talking to the Lord about these things. And if you know that's a tendency, get in this prayer room and get in, in the word about just. I mean, you get these little Bible promise books, anxiety depression. I mean, they've already got the collection of verses for you. Meditate. I mean, these things are amazing. Yeah. They've got the word of God laid out. But you've got our part is, is as she said, renewing our minds with the word of God. Yeah. And it, it sets our emotions um, in a healthy place.
1: So I think in summary, I think that that we've dealt with some pretty heavy issues. And I think that um, I just want to encourage you with something. If you're offended right now, I think it's really good. If you're not, it's really good too. But if you're offended at some of the things that you've heard today, I want to encourage you to be like a Berean and search out the scriptures for yourself. Because when I hear something that hits my heart and I get offended, it should push you into the Word because this is important, that we know the Word so that we can grow in the Word and we can follow the Word. And this, again, it's not about religion, but it is genuinely about loving a man and being so in love that we want to follow him with our whole hearts. Amen? All right, so do you want to pray or do you want me to pray?
0: Let's have everyone stand. I'll let you open up.
1: So, Father, we do, we just thank you for this word today, God, and I pray, Lord, that any place that there's an offense, God, I pray that you would just pour out your love in that place, God. Father, we confess today that um, we want to be followers of Jesus and that we want to give you our whole heart. We want to give you all of our mind, all of our strength. God, we don't want to play around with this, Father, and we don't want to treat your the, your son's sacrifice as though it is nothing. But God, we want to really love you all the way. And we want to run this race well. And so God, would you give us the strength and the grace today to begin to run? God, would you create around us boundaries and safety? God, would you help us with um, habitual sin? Would you help to set us free, God, from the things that would entangle us, Lord? God, I pray that this message, that it would go into our hearts and our minds and begin to create life, newness of life. God, I ask for a reset for many that are in here that have heard this message and online. God, that you would that they would hit their knees, Father, and that they could start again. God, that they that your love and your kindness would lead them to and us to repentance so that we can be fully cleansed for the day of your return.
0: Yes, and God, I pray for those that are in need of hope. Lord, I thank you for the power of grace of God. I thank you, God, what you've done in my life, and that this message of grace has empowered me, God, to run after you in relationship. I thank you, Lord, for a grace being released over the room right now. There's a grace being poured out right now for those that want to overcome sin, for those that want to know that they're loved and enjoyed by God right now. If there's just a, and I just want to invite you, if there's like, God, I need this revelation of my acceptance of that you enjoy me and that you have empowered me by your grace. I need this to hit my heart. God, I want more of this. I want to invite you to lift up your hands. I want to, I want a revelation of the grace of God. I want this to penetrate my soul. God, I thank you that your kindness, your loving kindness for us is everlasting. I pray that grace and peace would be multiplied to each person in this room. I ask for those that have raised their hands to encounter the power of the grace of God in their hearts. I ask for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they would look at those eyes of grace, of power, and that when they get into the place of prayer, that, Lord, they would see those eyes and they would be drawn by your love and that the voice of truth that says, I delight in you, I delight in you, would pierce their soul. God, would you come and wash over us with the revelation of the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs)